Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Yeah, it hurts a lot. Last minute, last action really, I think. I got a little nudge, but of course the hand shouldn't be there and take it on the chin. Now then, there is a check going on at the moment for handball. For me, maybe that shouldn't have even happened, that corner shouldn't have happened, but of course, you know, I can't change that, but I think, yeah, for me it wasn't a foul before, but like I said, hands up. Silly mistake that, you know, cost us a point at the end. No doubt to the referee's mind, penalty! This is Talker Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. It's Friday morning, the sun is shining, but we're not exactly feeling bright and breezy after that not-so-bright ending at Brighton last night. We'll talk about that, reflect on what was a very disappointing defeat in the end for Manchester United. We'll also preview the game against West Ham coming up and we'll also have a look back at the title celebrations back in 1993, 30 years on from Manchester United's first ever Premier League title win. All right, let's introduce you to the fellas then this morning. Carl Anker, are you still in Brighton? I am still in Brighton. Pleased to be there, still? It's a, it's a lovely day in Brighton. Okay. Not going to lie. Wasn't a lovely night, was it? No, no. No. I, I no. keep having to get the train from Falmer back into Brighton, surrounded by ecstatic Brighton fans who treat victories over Manchester United like they've won a trophy. Ugh. Yeah, Andy Mitten's over in Barcelona. Andy, I'm guessing you haven't been dodging Brighton fans. I've got the Spanish Cup final. I've been writing about a little team called Osasuna. I'm in contact with quite a few Brighton fans. Oh, yeah? I just know them. I look quite Chirpy. Well, they are pretty chirpy. They're quite nice people, chirpy actually. Seagulls. Um, I know quite a few who've, who've moved to Manchester. A lot of people from have moved from the south of England to Manchester in the last 10 years. I never knew that in the previous... Like, and Carl's one of them. Yeah, Carl. It's definitely a movement. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You know, there was this brain drain to London years ago. And I see, I see people, including Brighton fans who I know, moving to places like Stretford. Sorry for driving the rents up. One of my favourite moments on the semi-final Wembley day uh, the other week was on the tube on the way to Wembley when a bunch of... There was a Brighton... <laughs> stuff makes you laugh thinking about it. There was a Brighton fan with a seagull in his hand on the tube. Not a real one, obviously. It was a bloat one or something. Uh, but one of the fans uh, on the tube spotted that and just started singing you can stick your effing seagull up your <laughs> sideways and <laughs> literally an entire tube pointing at this guy with a seagull in his hand anyway what am i going on about carl let's talk about last night then uh you were there i was gonna say what went wrong it's quite clear what went wrong at the end what did you make of the overall display i think i think that's the question that was a really good first half Andy and i have talked about it but one of the advantages of being in the press box at the amex is you are right behind the tunnel and the dugout, so you can see, the, you basically see the backs of the manager's heads. Uh, and throughout the first half, what you saw was 
Deserby and Ten Hag making constant tactical tweaks and adjustments on each other. So the FA Cup semi-final was pretty boring because they were both cancelled each other out. Whereas what you saw yesterday was two managers going, ah, right, okay, he's doing this. Let me count it with this. Let me count it with this. And they were trying to win the game rather than just trying to grind things out. There was a really interesting moment, I want to say 20 minutes in, when Deserby just kept going at Buonanonte. My apologies if I got that wrong. Just basically showing him the shape at which he wanted to attack Dallo, to which Ten Hag like, grabbed Dallo and went, he's trying to do this to you. I need you to be alert to that. So really, you know, a nice nil-nil, first half. And the second one, just, you know, United used to be second half FC. And now that they start the second half so flat, away from home in particular. And it, uh, it's proven to be a bit of a problem. It is a problem. And I know that the result is will affect the mood of, of, of this podcast. Uh, I was about 30 seconds away from tweeting an eighth clean sheet in 11 league games for Manchester United, which is very different to what I eventually tweeted, which, thanks to Gary Neville retweeting me, ends up going absolutely massive, <laughs> which was about Manchester United's away form against teams in the top nine. No wins. One draw. Some Tottenham fans were quite bemused that the one draw came against them and, and seven defeats. I think another defeat just shows how much work Manchester United have still got to do. I don't think it was that bad a performance, but Carl's right to pick out that, that second half and the mistakes at the end and some of the bad tackles. But we're seeing repeat themes here. United don't take the chances, do not score anything like as many goals as a team in that league position should do. But that away record is horrendous. And that, that will lose a manager his job if that doesn't improve. And I do think it will improve. And I know statistics can, can almost prove anything, but that is stark. That away form is horrendous. So the interesting thing about the away form is United are still fifth. They still have the fifth best record away from home, right? So it's... Across the entire Premier League, it's seven wins, three draws, seven defeats. It's just those seven defeats are all against top half teams, right? The top teams. And, you know, if you're talking about cursed tweets, right before the penalty is given, I went, this might be the best 0-0 the league's ever seen. I also, 20 minutes earlier, went, oh, United could really do with a goal. And then immediately tweeted, about Vekos is coming on. I think that's why this away record is so weird, in that United's, let's say, best 11 or when everyone's fit and everyone's on 100%, that is good enough to win games home and away against pretty much every team. And then you take a couple of take a couple of those players out and that team is still good enough to beat teams away from home that are in the bottom half. But the moment you take someone like the Sandro Martinez out of this United team, or the moment Casemiro is maybe 5% off it, that's when teams like Aston Villa, teams like Brighton, teams like Liverpool, Man City... Even Spurs, you know, can get points at their ground rather than Man United. To be honest, though, Carl, I feel like United at times have had more than strong enough sides against some of these teams, and at times I feel like they've had pretty much their full strength team. I mean, how much of it, Andy, do you think now is just like a bit of a mental thing that you know they've only got you know a handful of games left in the league, but it might be something that they just have to press reset on in the summer and go again next year and just get this 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 away form this season just out of their heads, basically. Well, coming into this season, it was it was a problem, wasn't it? There were seven consecutive away mm-hmm. defeats until Manchester United got that result at um, Southampton when Casemiro came on for the first time. 
So, so this isn't new. And I don't know what percentage of it is 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 a mental thing, but it's not a one-off thing either. This is this is consistent failure away from home against decent sides and some absolute stinkers of performances. Now, at the end of last season, th that game at Palace at the end of the season was was horrendous, and and this season United have been well beaten despite putting out really strong sides. You're right, Carl, to say fifth best away form. And what Manchester United have done this season is pick up a lot of 1-0 wins away at teams low down. And when Jurgen Klopp said they've become a results machine, I think that was accurate at the time. At Old Trafford, the, the, the form is formidable. And there's been some great games at Old Trafford this season. Thankfully, Manchester United have been drawn at home in just about every cup tie. So that's seen United through to, <laughs> to Wembley uh, three times. And I know we're laughing about that. But what if Man United would have been drawn away to Brighton in the fourth round of the FA Cup? Probably would have gone out because the team cannot win away. And this is a fact now. They cannot get an away result. This isn't three games into the season. We've now almost gone a full season and that away record is an absolute stinker. We're consistently going away and losing. Not even drawing. There's that one draw against Tottenham. And it is a major worry. And we know the reasons why. We know that chances should have been taken. Some pretty good chances against Brighton in that first half. R really should have been goals. Right from the start of the game, when United went into it on the front foot, some good attacking moves. I thought Marcus Rashford looked good. I thought Bruno Fernandes looked good. You could pick out positives. And a nil-nil draw at Brighton, I would have taken that all day long. But United don't draw away at good teams. They lose. They consistently lose. And this has got to change because if a team is going to win trophies and properly compete for the title, you've got to beat teams away. Imagine if Manchester United would have won four of those eight away games. You're looking at title challenges there. Is it too much to expect a team to win four of those eight away games? I don't think it is. But the team don't win any. They lose every single one. It also puts pressure on the home form as well, which has been absolutely brilliant this season, hasn't it? Um, and if they aren't quite able to replicate that next year, then obviously the away form then has to top up that, and you, you, you know, you sort of then beginning to try and plug a, a ship that's leaking from different different uh, places. Carl, in terms of of, of last night, um, I thought Luke Shaw's post match interview was interesting in in a few factors. I think it was sort of credit to him in a way that he came out to do it after the disappointment of that of that handball decision um, at the death. Um, we've not had a glum Luke Shaw interview for quite some time, actually, have we? Um, I felt like he was maybe lower than he needed to be in a way, but obviously that's probably the raw emotion of what's just happened. But I thought it was also quite revealing that he couldn't almost help himself mention the fact that they'd missed chances as well as uh, the handball for the reason why United lost that game. Yeah, Luke Shaw this season has become you know, vice-captain-esque in the way he, he's talked about the United dressing room, the way he, he's talked, given really good press, conf press conferences after games. and He did look quite devastated about that. I found it interesting when he said he, he doesn't know why his hand's up there, mm. which speaks to, oh, that's that thing of when you're tired and you've just lost a little bit of focus, that's the difference. The unfortunate thing was outside of that handball, he was... One of the you know, United's best players. We, we, we've really reached this point where he is the second choice to play left centre back now. Do you think he is a centre half longer term now? I mean, I, I guess his longer term future could be doing either, but he's played so well there. It's not enough games 
to make a definitive thing. I know the stats people are going to yell at me about sample size, but I, th- I think there might be something about playing at centre back that makes him less prone to some of the lapses in concentration that he can be victim of when he's playing at left back. Now I'm saying this just after he's made a concentrational lapse and thrown his hand up in the air when defending the cross. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. W- w- with you though, mate. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 it's an option, and I think. Now he signed a four-year contract. If you look at the setup of this squad, Shaw being able to play so good in that position probably relaxes Ten Hag and going, okay, you know, I can now make bigger decisions towards Fernandez, who's on loan at Preston North End, and uh, where and how I spend my money at centre back might change as well. What do you think, Andy? I think Luke Shaw's had a good season. I think he was playing well. I think Victor Lindelof, apart from giving the ball away very early on, I think he had another decent game and. Again, it's still seven clean sheets out of the last 11 league games. I'm, I'm not alarmed by the defenders. I think they've done well, given the, the absence of, of Lissandro Martinez and, and Rafael Varane, who, who are your first choice too. And Harry Maguire also not being able to play in several of the games. I am alarmed about the away form. I'm baffled as well, because if it is something psychological with the crowd, well, how do you explain that Manchester United went to Barcelona in front of 91,000 in February and went toe-to-toe with them, a very good team, and were fantastic. And I remember speaking to analysts, to coaches, praising Manchester United's collective pressing, the way that they were winning the ball, that they were going straight through Barcelona's lines. I remember being in the press conference when Javi Hernandez was raving about Manchester United. That's away at Barcelona. So why can't the team do it away at lesser sides. I'm not saying Manchester City because clearly they're they're, they're very very good until they meet play Real Madrid. <laughs> I'm saying that consistently cannot do it in England. Why? I think a lot of it has to do with. I mean, how many games have passed since that away game against Barcelona? How many extra rounds of football? This fixture against Brighton is game 56. You've got a point. They're tired. You know, I talked to Ten Hag about this, and I said. I was trying to get him to say something about the difference between the first half and the second half. And he, I basically just went, look, is it physical or is it tactical? And he was like, eh, it's not physical because we, we pay attention and we still make our high intensity runs and the data shows that we're not knackered. But he did think the tactical execution perhaps isn't as sharp as what it was before. So mental fatigue. Yeah, I think that's what we're t- looking at now. The the execution and the intensity of moves in late May is not what it was in January when you were against Barcelona. You, you can't be, right? You are, you've played so many extra games compared to everyone else. Manchester United have played more games than pretty much everyone in the Premier League. Probably everyone in Europe at this stage, you know. Even though they don't score that many goals, they've still scored, I want to say, 99 goals across all competitions this season, which when you think about their front three, you've got Rashford, who's a legitimate goal threat, but if you can limit the space he runs in behind, can be nullified. Martial cannot sprint. I think that's fair to say now. Anthony is reluctant to use his right foot. So when you say, what, why why are these teams not working well when you're playing top teams away from home? Because when you're playing as a top team away from home, they're just going to go, right, we're going to take away your strongest weapon. So close down the space Rashford has to run in behind. There goes Moses Kaiser, just basically stick an elbow in Rashford every time that happens. Block off, you know, you've got two very good centre-backs who can pass around Martial and Martial's trying to like, meander up and press you so that's that done then you've got Anthony who doesn't want to use his right foot so he's very you know you can create space 
So Anthony either has to go outside or he can't attack you. And that's how a top team stops you at their home ground. You move back further, Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes hates passing when he's when there's a guy on his back. That's why he does all those black back heels and flick-ons. So you tell someone like Alexis McAllister, so just go around the back of him. So that stops that ball progression. And this is the thing, when you are a... It's all well and good saying United are way better than they were last season, but so is Brighton. Brighton finished ninth last season on the Graham pod. Does Zerbi now stop them playing sixth, seventh base? You know, Aston Villa last season had Steven Gerrard playing that weird narrow 4-3-3. And now they've got Unai Emery, who's just like, right, cracking. I want to show you why Emery Brendy is great. United are good, but they're also knackered at a time where all the other teams around them are good with better managers than they had last season. And they're beginning to figure out United's weaknesses. United are knackered, and I know that for a fact. And you're right to credit Brighton. And on balance, over that cup game and that one, one team deserved to win one, and one team deserved to win another. They, they were very unlucky in, in that semi-final. The point about goals, United have scored 49 goals from 33 league games. You look at the teams, Brighton have scored 62, Liverpool have scored 66, Tottenham have scored 63. It's United who are the outliers here, mm-hmm. not not the, not the others. Yeah. Brentford in ninth have scored 52, Fulham have scored 45. Does it underline why a number nine is the big priority, Andy, for this summer? Massive. And, and it's also, it is a continuation of the hangover from Cristiano Ronaldo. Because through no fault of his own, Eric Tenag went into this season with Cristiano Ronaldo as one of his principal strikers. And there was not a budget to go out and buy big, big, big. United wanted to. That's why they looked at people like Arnautovic and Ronaldo has left. So he's had to deal with that. And I think on balance, he's, he's dealt with it pretty well. But how much better would this side have been with a number nine who plays most weeks and scores most weeks. I know that's wishful thinking. How much better would Marcus Rashford have been? Because now we're getting to the end of the season and I think we can critique the players. And we can say that Anthony Martial has not played anywhere near enough and that Jadon Sancho has had a pretty underwhelming season. And collectively, Brighton's front four have been far more effective than Manchester United's. And they're, they're, they're a good side, Brighton. That battle last night between Aaron Wambasaka and Mitoma was as interesting to me as it was at Wembley. I found the game at Wembley fascinating. And they've got Ferguson as well, so they've got a striker. The striker is, is the big, big issue for Manchester United. If United sign Harry Kane tomorrow, which ain't happening tomorrow, because you're not allowed to tomorrow. Maybe the day after then there will be so much relief. But plays back into what Eric Tenag is now saying publicly. He doesn't know how much money he's got to spend. I've been saying it for months on the podcast. Nobody knows. It's all right saying business as usual. The people saying that, they don't know. Because they don't know who is going to own Manchester United in one or two months or three months' time. And instability comes from that. We'll talk more about that definitely later on in the podcast. But Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United is still a work in progress. If only someone had written an article about it. Oh, wait, Carl has. It's on The Athletic, of course. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. It's a night where you can relax and then play, but win. <laughs> you can relax and play and win, you know. Only when players are truly confident can they show their best. Now, if you're not truly confident tonight, you will never be. You will never be more than truly confident than tonight. This is the greatest night of your lives, and I hope you've been many of them. And remember what I said to you some years ago, and that's true. Just look around the dressing room. Just look around the dressing room, you see yourself, well, I'm glad I've got my team. And I think you can look at each other and say that. Everyone is. They've all contributed fantastically well for us. So have a very good night and make sure you perform. All right? I'm only going to ask what you were up to last night. I dare not ask you. <laughs> that was the sound of Sir Alex Ferguson addressing his Manchester United players. In the dressing room, before they played Blackburn Rovers at Old Trafford in 1993, uh, and they'd actually won the Premier League title, courtesy of a result elsewhere the night before. They had a bit of a party, Andy Mitten's written about it on The Athletic. Andy, what were they up to the night before? Drinking. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. Dancing. I, tr- I tracked down Steve Bruce, and he's the main person in the article, and... I knew, I knew Bruce really well in the 90s, but I hadn't spoke to him since. He's the only one who I've not, hadn't kept in touch with. I, I don't know why I'd never fell out with him. And I spoke to him this week and he was really happy to talk about it and just describing the party at his house. And he's like, yeah, the neighbours came over from... They brought a bottle as well. And um, I spoke to his son, Alex, who was dispatched to sleep at a different neighbours. Um, he watched on the window ledge yeah. with Casper with <laughs> Schmeichel. I loved it, and I loved fans coming forward going, we were in the street outside, and Sky TV turning up, and the players thinking, this is on telly, that means the gaffer's going to see it, we better ring him. So most of them didn't have mobile phones, so Steve Bruce rang Sir Alex, so we're having a couple of drinks, and he went, aye, I know, Um, make sure it's wrapped up by 10. And Steve Bruce's excuse was, he knew it wasn't going to finish at 10, he was going to say, I thought you meant 10 a.m. <laughs> if he really got on his case. And then he went to bed and he was woken up with, by glasses clinking. And he went down and he thought, someone still can't be at it. And he looked at his alarm clock. It was it was seven o'clock in the morning. And he went to his kitchen where Brian Robson was mopping and his wife, Denise, was doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. What a great house guest. And Steve Bruce said to me, Captain of England, no less, Robbo. Put that in the article. (laughs) 
Well, clearly a good captain. He said, I don't think he ever went to bed that night because him and Denise were in the spare room and I need to find out. Or if you're a good journalist, you find out from him. <laughs> Did you? So Brian Robson, I, I reckon, I've not spoke to him in the last two days since I spoke to Steve Bruce, but so many little sidelines about it. Paul Parker in a personal competition to see who could score the most goals between him and Gary Palliser that, that season. Parker had won. And it, Parker being devastated when when Pallister scored. Lee Sharp fearing for his life when he went to celebrate at Old Trafford. It, it's history. I'm amazed it's 30 years ago. It was it was a brilliant being there. Old Trafford was fantastic that night. Steve Bruce was right to name-check um, Sir Matt Busby because he wouldn't be there the next time the title came around. And that came after a 26-year wait. Manchester United went 26 years without winning the league, despite being the best supported team in England for, for 24 of those years. Only Liverpool nicked it for two years, that title. Liverpool nicked a lot more than being the, the best supported team. They won numerous league titles. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, Carl, as well, um, about that clip that we played, it's from a video that was doing the rounds on social media, uh, on YouTube, I think, maybe. The some of the outfits, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We we look at Premier League footballers now and sort of shake our heads a little bit at some of the clubber. But my goodness, there were some garish jackets on show there, weren't there? I mean, <laughs> a few years ago when there was Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba and <laughs> even Marcus Rashford at times turning up in different things, you'd always think, wonder what Sir Alex would make of all of this. Well, judging by what Lee Sharp was wearing and Paul Ince and Paul Parker and Ryan Giggs. He didn't have a problem with it, seemingly. There's, there's, there's some decent rascal gear in that video. <laughs> rascal gear is a good way of putting it, yeah. Rascal gear. And uh, I think the amazing thing when you watch clips like that with Sir Alex is how he is miles ahead of the curve. And if you watch his documentary, he, he's always been ahead of the curve. He's always been really not, not good at sports science. He's always been very good at that little bit where he talks about if you're confident, you can perform to your best is what they put in all those leadership books nowadays about how you've got to be a good leader and you've got to empower your your members of staff and that way you can get the best results they can hit their targets or whatever and Fergie's doing that in the 90s and just calling them all lads and letting them all have beers as long as they wrap it up by 10 o'clock relax tonight lads enjoy yourselves yeah, but make sure you win yeah <laughs> right it's the the amazing thing about Ferguson is he never really wanted to talk about his tactics right he, he's never talked about the differences between his 4-3-3 in Europe and why his 4-4-2 worked with the box-to-box midfielders and blah, 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 blah. But if you pay attention enough, he very clearly was ahead of the curve and understood team psychology, understood the importance of pressing, understood the importance of off-the-ball shape and all that. He just wouldn't tell you because he just loved winning shiny pots. And that's why he's the best. Well, it's, it's hard to argue with that really, isn't it? In terms of the... The result the night before, Oldham Athletic winning at Aston Villa. I mean, that's an FA Cup shock these days, isn't it? I mean, it's, I'm from Oldham. I think I've admitted that on the podcast before. Even we used to go and watch them occasionally when United weren't playing at home as well. I was a boundary blue for a little while. You get a season ticket for 20 quid and they tended to play on alternate weekends to United at home as well. So you could go and watch Latics. Didn't you once come seventh in like... A modelling competition for like Miss Mister North Oldham. Uh, no, <laughs> under seventeen's category. <laughs> no, that's not true. I don't know where you heard that, Andy. Have you ever done any modelling in Oldham? Um, yes. Hang on. Um, it wasn't just Oldham though, right? Have you ever entered a competition? Um, 
Yes. <laughs> I entered a competition to be the face of Manchester, I think it was called, the competition. And it led me on a path okay. to modeling for JD Sports. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Did you? I'll turn this on its head. I turned up at university back in 2004, Freshers' Week, and I'm in the window of JD Sports. You can imagine how much mileage I got out of that. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> Love it. Did you get free trainers out of it? No. And that was Rascal Gear. What was it called? Mackenzie. Oh, yeah. It was in FHM. Mackenzie's um, pretty popular with kids. Yeah. That was my claim to fame before this podcast. Yeah, so so famous exports from Oldham, and, you, and you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but Oldham Athletic are now a non-league team. You know, they were they were in the Premier League that time. It was a big, big, big shock at the time. Nick Henry's goal that led to Manchester United winning winning the title. Just happy, happy days. When I was a kid, I dreamed of seeing Manchester United win one league title in my life. One. And you celebrated that like it was the one because you didn't think that there would be other ones. Town was buzzing. Everyone was out before the game, after the game. Remember Old Trafford was a big flag, Fergie's army from Malta. The Maltese Reds are obviously really well established as a as a supporters group. And that Blackburn team were very good. They were on the they were on on the way up. They had Jack Walker's money. I remember speaking to Kevin Gallagher, who's, who's I think scored in that match because they took the lead. And um, they had a crack inside Blackburn Rovers. Shear and Sherwood would all, would all come, but no, it, it, it was Manchester United's night. And to contrast with the year before when Leeds United had won it, you know, I remember feeling as a fan absolutely distraught the year before, losing the league at Anfield and, and at West Ham. So it, it, it was just a wonderful night at Old Trafford. Um, it was a release of... I was a kid. The people who had gone for like 30, 30 years and never seen the team uh, win win the title. And the players, I think a lot of fans, and I used to do this, you assume that all Man United players are all mates with each other, but they're not. They're work colleagues. But actually a lot of them were mates with each other. You know, Paul Ince and Ryan Giggs were really, really good friends. They would go out with the rascal gear. I've seen them dance. Yeah. You know, you'd see them in town. You'd see them in clubs in town, and they were proper good mates. They used to kip at each other's house. Did they do that knee thing on the floor in Royals, knee to knee, and then the little hand thing going backwards? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that car? No, I had to watch it on YouTube. <laughs> watch it on YouTube, yeah. Cringy as hell. Some of them lads now, <laughs> if they have any regrets... Then, that goal celebration. Yeah. It's what they spent on those suits, which they wore twice. You know, they, they were dropping 800 quid on suits. Wow. Which they, which they hardly wore, so... What were the shops that they bought them from, Andy? Do you remember? In, in Manchester, a lot of them were very close through Brian Robson to a guy called Phil Black. Yeah. He had a place in, in the Royal Exchange. Right. And... Yeah, they they were into the gear. Lee Sharp was very was very cool kid, and he, he looked the part as well. He was wearing you know Stone Island long before a lot of football casuals were, and of course he had a lot of disposable income as well. And you had some of them just wearing like you know Nike jumpers, <laughs> like Steve Brewster. Sharpie was a really cool lad. He was you know you'd see him out in Manchester. He always had beautiful girlfriends. A really, really 
good lad. But you know, what was Andre Konchelskis at the forefront of of, of fashion at the time? <laughs> nah, I mean, not judging by that video, no. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh dear. That was nice. I enjoyed doing that. There was a serious point at the end of all of this that we need to do just quickly. But that night, obviously, that was 26 years of a wait for a league title coming to an end back in 1993. It's 10 years now. Um, we're coming up to 10 years anyway this month, Carl. How long will it be if you had to get out your crystal ball for the next time Manchester United get their hands on that trophy? Everything United do this summer should be with the intention of winning the title just after the Euros, so 24-25, right? And I sincerely believe Eric Ten Hag is a smart enough manager that if he gets the signing he's, he wants and can get the squad in a way he wants, he can get a title before the next World Cup. He could also make a decent dent on the Champions League if the stars align and the Cup draw is as you know, nice to him as it has been for the FA Cup as well. I think Ten Hag is smart enough. I do think he does need proper signings and he does need to really go at that squad in the same way that he's gone at squads at Ajax and the same way he's gone at squads at Utrecht. But I will say, the next time United win the title, I am going to be absolutely unbearable because when they won it in 2013, I thought I didn't know I'd have to wait this long before another Premier League title. I barely celebrated that one in 2013 because I just thought the next one will be right around the corner. Got used to it by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I like think the you. next time Manchester United win a title, I'm going to be going through the Royal Exchange looking for a tailor's to buy the most rascal jacket I can Absolutely. possibly find. Andy, how long is it going to be until they do it again? I, I agree with Carl that Ten Hag, I think, can deliver that. Uh, external factors, you know, if Pep Guardiola stays at Manchester City, it's clearly a factor. We don't know how Chelsea's going to pan out, Newcastle. You often can't see it coming. I remember speaking to Jamie Carragher in 2015 and him saying, I can't realistically see Liverpool making a title challenge in the next five to six years. And within three years, Liverpool one of the best teams in Europe. So recruitment this summer, the ownership is, is, is that huge elephant in the room. Because if the new owners come in and they say, right, go and spend money, uh, financial fair play is a massive issue now, much more than it ever has been. But I do think that United's recruitment um, will be better under Eric Ten Hag, uh, providing the new owners don't come in and do a Chelsea, because that could absolutely happen as well. They come in, they just get rid of everybody. Then you'd like to think, you know, in a year or two, but you can hear the hesitation in my voice because I'm not absolutely convinced, but it's difficult. I think it's much more difficult to win the title now because every team is far wealthier than they were. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to become the preeminent side, but recruitment has been the major flaw for Manchester United. And and even now, you know, we were so excited when Jadon Sancho joined. Didn't really happen, did it? Maybe it will happen. I wish the lad really well. I hope he's a big success. I don't know what's going to happen with Mason Greenwood. No idea there. You'd hope that Casimiro... Still around. I know that David De Gea is is driven to winning another league title. So many things need need to come together, and and I'm feeling a little bit more despondent about Manchester United than I was maybe two or three months ago. The interesting thing with United in the last let's say four or five years is they've needed to do this rebuild or reboot or redevelopment, however you want. And one you know the fixture that sticks in my mind a lot was the four 0 defeat away at Everton in 2019 under Oliver Solskjaer when he just became permanent. Yeah. And 
more or less him and Gary Neville said quite a few of the players that play in that 4-0 need to get shifted on for United to, to get anywhere close to winning a title. Then you put the clock forward to, to last year, 2022, and quite a few of those players, I think four players that started in that 4-0 defeat to Everton also played in that 4-0 defeat to Brighton last year. You put the clock forward to last night, only three players. So, you know, De Gea, Dalo, and Lindelof were there. Dalo, okay, might turn out to be a Manchester United starting right back, but I think quite a few United fans think United need a better right back than him. Lindelof now is not first choice centre back for Manchester United. And De Gea, quite a few United fans want him gone. Some United fans want him to stay. He's in that point of contention. So if you think about that reboot from 2019 from the Everton defeat should have happened way earlier than last year. And it's only now that Ten Hag's beginning to get that thing done. But even now, you can still see you know, they still need a striker. They still need to redo something with their defence. They still need to do something with their fullbacks. And that's going to be the difference between United getting their title challenge done before the 2026 World Cup or getting that title challenge done before, say, the 2030 World Cup. You know, everything United should do right now is should be done with the intention of making sure Ten Hag can have a decent title challenge before his contract is up. You're, you're right, but but we've been here before with, with each of the other managers. Um, you mentioned Oli. I spoke to him for an hour yesterday. It was for um, a website called The Athletic. Oh, yeah. I know it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. better get it up then, Anna, in the next few days. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, he was driving to, driving to see his daughter play football in Norway, so he thought, I'll give Andy a call and we'll chew the fat for a bit. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how it played out, yeah. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, we've just got enough time then to squeeze in a preview to the next stop on Manchester United's Magical Mystery Tour, although they do get a week off next week, which is going to be a bit weird. We might be scratching around for things to talk about on the uh, second podcast of next week. No, we won't. There's always something. Um, right, let's talk about West Ham. Carl, um, they're not exactly safe, are they? Uh, could this actually be quite a tough game for United? Yeah, yeah. So their performance in their 2-1 defeat to Liverpool was I think one of the best games West Ham have had all season but also I mean they lost so you take your chances you can still beat them the big thing for, for West Ham now in this I'd say post-World Cup period is David Moyes seems to finally figured out how to use Pakata. he looks a totally different player 
you know, start the season, tried using him as a number 10. And I think now he's realised Pakatai's better as a box-to-box, bit deeper in the pivot, put him next to Declan Rice and get him forward. Uh, and then other midfielders can't track him. So they should be safe. They are in that very interesting thing where they've got one eye on a very interesting Conference League semi-final. But we do know Mr Moyes hasn't got the greatest record against Manchester United and probably might want to get some revenge there. Um, there's also the fact that I think four, three or four of the key players in their last league game may have had a bit of the lasagnas, shall we say. Uh, and we don't know about the, how strong the team will be. But yeah. West Ham, I don't know if West Ham qualifies under Andy Mitten's qualification of a good side, but they're not far off it when everyone's playing well. Yeah. I know you've had a lot of chats with Moisey. Andy, I mean, the general reputation is he's a bit dour and not the most charming sometimes. He's all right. Um, he's, he's, he's okay, Carl. <laughs> uh, as for a good side, well, they've won nine and lost 18 this season, so they don't reach good standard. There you go. Un- unfortunately. <laughs> They're a good side in the Europa Conference League, not so yeah. much in the Premier yeah, League, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't believe that they're the second best supported team in the Premier League, off average crowds, because they've got that huge new stadium. With, um, with David, he... he Obviously, had a, a very difficult time at, at Manchester United, but I maintain there is a side of him which people do not see, where he's actually pretty witty. Oh yeah! So I remember a couple of years ago, cycling lands and John O'Groats, and he he messages me. He went, "Urge you um, in God's own country, something like that, Scotland," and he'd seen a picture. And he's like, "You're losing a bit of weight. You're giving me ideas here." So he was clearly <laughs> conscious about his own weight. He's a football addict, and when he was in Spain, him and his assistant, Billy McKinley, they would argue for hours about who was better out of Dundee or Dundee United. The most pointless arguments. They go scouting trips in the north of Spain. None of them spoke Spanish. So they'd arrive in this like little Basque town and go, you go and check um, if there's a space at the inn. They didn't realise how big Spain was. They're like four hours from San Sebastian. No, you go, no, I can't speak Spanish. It's Basque here. Well, I can't speak Basque either. You go, no, you go. You're my assistant. I'm the manager. You go to that hotel and find out if there's a room for us. Are we sharing gaffer or not? Twin beds. Just bizarre, silly stories. And I know he's a serious football manager, and he absolutely is. He's had a good career, David Moyes, as a manager. I know Manchester United will always be mentioned, and with good reason. Mm Mm-hmm. His one point on the United is he was told he would have time to do a proper rebuilding job and if he'd known he was going to lose the job after 10 months, he would have done things differently. I think that first transfer window was horrendous for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. He identified good players. You know, Cesc Fabregas told him he wanted to join Manchester United. Tony Cruz. Tony Cruz. You know, he, he was no fool, but... I remember him saying two months in, there's a massive job to do here. Nobody was saying that at the time. Then again, there's another side. I know people saying he was totally different to how he was at Everton. He changed his personality. He tried to take on everything and he failed in that respect. Yeah, he's done a podcast recently, actually, which I, I listened to, um, which reflected on some of the, the stuff that happened at Manchester United. I actually did uh, the West Ham game at Manchester City the other day and I think... Carl's right, there was a bit of uh, dodgy lasagna going around the night mm. before. So they had Declan Rice, Thomas Suchek, 
and uh, Aguard as well, Naya Aguard, the centre half, all missing. Kurt Zuma had done his ankle at Crystal Palace as well. So basically, you took the core of the team for West Ham, the two centre halves, the two central midfielders who'd started the match against Crystal Palace. To go to the Etihad without those was obviously a massive challenge, and he didn't know until quite late on, David Moyes, exactly who could play. Uh, and he managed to devise a first half plan which absolutely nullified City. I think it was the first nil nil at the Etihad all season uh, in a in in a first half in the Premier League. Came undone in the second half, but it's going to be a a lot picking exercise, Carl, isn't it? I think quite possibly. Yeah, and the big one will be midfield if Pakatar starts. Him versus Casemiro would be quite interesting. Stick Fred on him. It was decent. Is Fred last night? I don't want to say he was bad. He kept trying to push up to, to do whatever and he was trying to lock down Alexis McAllister um, to which Brighton just played around Fred, which yeah, he's good, but he's not two people. I think the thing with West Ham is, and he's right, they do have well good support. They also have a lot of American support now. If you are American and you're coming over for London for the weekend, quite a few of the tourist websites go, why don't you check out a Premier League game with West Ham United. That's interesting. Um, so that happens quite a lot. So, yeah, United should be... I'm not worried about top four yet. I'm also not going to make predictions about teams winning or not because the last two times I did it, things went badly. <laughs> it's getting tight and I am a bit worried about Liverpool winning, but of the remaining games, the home games are all winnable and the away games are as well. Yeah. There's no good away teams left for Manchester United so that that win against Villa was an important one I still do think Manchester United will finish in the top four go to the FA Cup final and absolutely smash City and that's me for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh um, you mentioned Dundee United so I have to mention this do you know that Dundee United is an insult in Nigeria how why I've seen this the other day it's so weird it's so- isn't it in certain parts of Nigeria, if you behave incompetently or like an idiot, uh, your parent or grandparent might go, don't be a Dundee United. Because Dundee once had a terrible friendly preseason tour, however you want to describe it, in the region. Uh, <laughs> and therefore it became a byword for just incompetence. So yeah, uh, Nigerians of a certain age refer to uh, idiocy or incompetency as a Dundee United. Have you ever eaten a, Dun- a Dundee biscuit? I have not, and that doesn't sound... What's a Dundee biscuit? <laughs> I just remember, as a kid, there was a thing called a Dundee biscuit, and they were like a massive treat. They are like a chocolate sort of shortbread biscuit. I, I, I might be talking rubbish because I don't even know if they... I'm going to Google it now, Dundee biscuits. Absolutely ridiculous. What a way to end the podcast. We need to tell you as well about the date of our live show changing in Manchester. You might have seen some of the communications uh, that have come out over the last 24 hours or so. Ticket holders would have received an email with all the details on as well. But due to unforeseen circumstances, we've had to change the date to Monday, the 4th of September, 2023. It was originally scheduled to be in May, of course. Um, Tickets aren't on sale again just yet. There'll be an announcement on that in the next few weeks. But thank you to everyone who'd bought tickets. Thank you to everyone who's messaged saying, don't worry about it, lads. Um, It's not changed my plans too much because we were a bit concerned about that. But the new date is Monday, the 4th of September, 2023. And we'll have all the details about tickets for that very, very soon. Right. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com 
forward slash Man United pod. You'll get access to all the pieces that we've been talking about today, including Carl's take on Brighton and his take on those parties back in 1993. And there's also an article up there uh, from Mark Critchley about the logistics of getting to the FA Cup final, which is going to be a huge challenge for Manchester United and Manchester City fans, of course. But for the moment, thank you for listening. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to Carl. And we'll see you after West Ham. Take care. Bye-bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.